We come again to our yearly topic of racial reconciliation or racial harmony, where we take one Sunday and we devote it just to this topic. And the question on your mind this year might be, are y'all nuts? Like, why in the world would you still be devoting one Sunday to deal with this issue, deal with this topic? Just talking about this issue has become so interwoven with controversy that to attempt to tackle it's like trying to disarm a bomb. You want to save lives, you're working really hard, diligently to do it very carefully, and then you make one wrong move, and boom, just blow everything up and make a mess. The topic's been so demonized by some that to even bring it up makes you an advocate of CRT, if you've ever heard of that. Most people don't know what it is, but they're against it. Or a Marxist, a communist, a heretic, one of the above, all of the above, and you probably also hate puppies, Christmas, children, and old people. Like, honestly, it's become so uncomfortable, many of us would rather either skip listening, skip showing up on this Sunday, even maybe skip preaching the topic. Let's just go to something safer. It's too volatile, it's too impossible. Which is why we should even more not avoid it. We'll get into that as we go. How do we even begin doing this? As we mention every year, we rip the idea right off the churches that we love, their reasons to take were to take every January and begin with a focus on the word and prayer, our food, our air as Christians, and then tackle two socially, culturally relevant topics, racial reconciliation, sanctity of human life, uh, in, co in coordination with Martin Luther King's uh, holiday and sanctity of human life Sunday. And in doing so, push back on, uh, speak the gospel into really two relevant topics that are talked about a lot in our culture, but also push back on the growing political idolatry of our nation. Generally speaking, the Democratic Party has done more to deal with racial inequalities in the recent history of our nation. Now I know just saying that is going to light a fire under some Republicans who hate Democrats and would never want to give them credit for anything good. And again, generally speaking, the Republicans have been the warriors for sanctity of human life, especially the, the pro-life movement since Roe v. Wade was passed. Again, if you're a Democrat and that vague generality gets under your skin, please send all emails to jessebeard at gmail.com <laughs> or jamessharp at gmail.com. I have lots of email addresses written up here. But if those generalities are true in some ways, we're tackling two topics near and dear to both major political parties, and we're asking how do we as the church make a distinction about how we see and view these topics? Now, since Jesus is not perfectly aligned with any one pol political party, and if that statement blows your mind and makes you mad, please send all emails to jamesclement at gmail.com. But since Jesus isn't perfectly aligned with any particular political party, how do we as the people of Jesus speak truth into these topics that continue to define our culture and how we interact, get along, and, and even fight as a culture? And I know it may seem like the Democrats have solved all the racial reconciliation problems, Haha, they haven't. And it may seem like the GOP has solved all the sanctity of human life issues. They haven't. So since they haven't, and since Jesus hasn't yet returned to establish his eternal state, how can we further understand and help bring gospel truth, gospel healing, and harmony in, in these issues in our culture? How can we help see more racial harmony where we live? How can we help more people see the dignity and value of every single human being from conception to death. Let's keep working on these as an outflow 
of our belief in Jesus and his gospel and our obedience to his commands. So next Sunday, we'll, we'll deal with sanctity of human life. Today, we'll look at three reasons we'll continue to dig into this topic of racial reconciliation. It's not the only reasons. It might not even be the best reasons, but I think there are three good biblical reasons why Jesus' people should continue to care about an issue like racial reconciliation, racial harmony, racial unity, whatever phrase you want to use. Number one, it is a gospel issue and therefore needs biblical truth understood and applied. It's a gospel issue and therefore it needs biblical truth understood and applied. In Galatians 2, beginning in verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I, this is Paul speaking, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the Jewish or circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I, Paul, saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas, Peter, in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? So when Paul confronted Peter in Galatians 2 about showing favoritism to the Jews over the Gentiles, acting in a clearly racist way, this one ethnicity is preferable to the other ethnicity. Paul called him out and said, Peter, what you are doing is deviating from the truth of the gospel. Some of your Bibles may say out of step with the gospel. This is a shocking statement from the Apostle Paul. We know the gospel, the good news, is all about Jesus, who he is, and his work. Paul defines for us the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. Where he says in verse 1, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, what does he want to make clear? The gospel I preach to you, which you received, on which you've taken your stand, by which you're being saved. So I want to make clear to you this gospel that has changed your life as you continue to believe it. If you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. So there's a call to always check and make sure we haven't believed in vain. Verse 3, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve, and then the rest of the next several verses, six, seven, and eight, go and name other people Jesus appeared to. So this gospel he wants to make clear to them that he's preached to them on which they take their stand, by which they're being saved, is all about the person and work of Jesus. Jesus lived, he died. He rose from the dead. He appeared to people to prove that all of this was true. Scholars believe this to be some form of an early church creed, something passed around orally and now in written form. And here are the basic facts about the gospel, and they have to all have to do with Jesus. If anyone understood the gospel, and if the person and work of Jesus flavored the writings of anyone, it was the Apostle Paul. But this same Paul would confront Peter and say that his racially driven hypocrisy is so offensive that it's out of step with the gospel. In other words, Peter, your behavior is so offensive, it calls into question the legitimacy of that the gospel has been applied to your life. That it is what you actually believe. It is actually true of you, your confession. And we get this. Sin's so bad, it makes people wonder, are they really 
a Christian? Do they really believe the gospel? Because Jesus came and gave his life for our sins, he rose from the dead. Jesus is now alive inside of his people, as well as at the right hand of the Father. And because Jesus lives in us, we more and more reflect his nature and his character so that over time, more and more actions and attitudes resemble what Jesus in our shoes would look like, how we feel about people, how we treat people. And so if Paul confronted Peter in this moment and Peter says, well, too bad, Paul. I'm Peter. Don't you know who I am? Jesus told me he's going to build the church on me. I don't care what you think. And he continued to act in this way. Paul would have rightly said, does Jesus even live inside of you, Peter? Now, we know that's not how Jesus lived or treated people. So why are you doing it? Now, we don't have record of this. We assume Peter did repent because Paul didn't continue. There was no recorded church discipline of Peter. Paul, Peter continued to be a leader in the church until his death. But this racist attitude can and does still exist. And when it shows up, especially among those who claim to be followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity to speak up and say, no, that's not okay. Why supremacy deviates from the truth of the gospel. It is a sin, it is wrong, it has no place among the people of God. Now, if you're waiting for me to make the same statement about black supremacy, Hispanic supremacy, Asian supremacy, just to make sure I got all my bases covered, right? Be fair. Yes, those two deviate from the truth of the gospel. Any ethnicity which shows favoritism or looks down on another ethnicity simply because they are different or see, see them as less than human, that also deviates from the truth of the gospel. But also understand, white brother and sister, recognize where we sit. We are 245 years into the history of our young nation, 415 years since Jamestown was founded, 403 years since the first slaves arrived in America. We are not a nation scarred with a history of dark-skinned supremacy. Dark-skinned people did not write in the founding documents of our nation that white enslaved people were three-fifths of a human. Four million white people were not enslaved by dark-skinned people. The hole that we continue to try and dig ourselves out of, we continue to suffer the consequences of, the sins committed in our nation's history were by and large not the sins of black supremacy, Hispanic supremacy, Asian supremacy, or Native American supremacy. So let's, let's not be so concerned about the splinter that we miss the log. This really shouldn't be a shocking assertion. It's just simple historical fact. And so white supremacy is out of step with the gospel. Confederate flags which pay homage to the chattel slavery system in which four million dark-skinned image bearers were enslaved by white image bearers, Nazi swastikas deviate from the truth of the gospel. Pamphlets, books, conferences which romanticize the Confederate South and make it seem like slavery really wasn't that bad. There were a few good slave owners who taught their slaves how to read and treated them like family is out of step from the truth of the gospel. And as our nation browns in skin color, again, if you haven't heard this, in 2045 it's projected, just 23 years from now, which will pass like that, America will no longer be a majority white culture. For the first time in our history, a majority of people will be dark-skinned, brown-skinned. Hispanics mostly, but also black, Asian, mixed-race image bearers will make up over 50% of the population for the first time. 
As that happens, it's possible these relics of our white dominant past will continue to show up more and more, and we as a church will have to continue to say, this is not how Jesus would live and treat people. There's nothing to be afraid here. That deviates from the truth of the gospel. We have to live our lives in step with Jesus, even if it's out of step with the predominantly white evangelical church. Who will sometimes use the phrase, just stick to the gospel, please, and avoid these topics. Trevor White, uh, Trevor Wax, writing about this for uh, the Gospel Coalition, an article entitled this. He said, at its best, just preach the gospel serves as a needed warning to stay tethered to the central message of Christianity. Yes. At its worst, it means don't touch my idol. Too often the command to just preach the gospel is less about the gospel than it is the subject to be avoided. Just preach the gospel means don't talk about race or don't talk about abortion or don't talk about sexuality. Don't focus on immigrants. In these cases, just preach the gospel isn't about keeping the cross, not a cause, at the center of the church. It's, about warn, it's a warning about placing the wrong cause at the center. And, of course, the wrong cause is whatever causes discomfort in the congregation. So we have this great opportunity as the people of Jesus to get uncomfortable and to have hard conversations. Not always as the experts. We're going to tell you what you should think about this because we've got it all figured out. God help us. Sometimes we need to just listen to those who are hurting like Job's friends did for the first seven days of silence and learn with others about parts of our nation's past that we're not familiar with or even parts of our nation's current climate that we're not familiar with because it's not where we live. It's not the air that we breathe. And when it's time for biblical truth, we step in. Here's biblical truth. We do know that. Here's the gospel. We do know that. And to show our culture there is a better way. We don't have to run back to the racist relics of the past or try to hold on to power or try to coerce with power whoever we're talking to. We don't have to overrun state capitals or our nation's capital armed like it's World War III flying Jesus flags. We don't have to burn down businesses and riot and loot and destroy property. We can show a better way. We can live out Jeremiah 29.7, pursue the well-being of the city I have sent you to pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. It was not written to a Jewish people in Jerusalem as the dominant culture. That was written to a Jewish people in captivity in Babylon. If you will pray and work for the welfare of the city in which you are captive in, it will thrive and you will thrive. So we want to keep discussing these things, not just on one Sunday, but as it comes up throughout the year, as we walk through the scriptures, as we have personal conversations, as we're on our own learning, reading stuff. It just wants to be something we constantly dig into because it is a gospel issue that needs biblical truth, that needs gospel truth. Secondly, we want to be good missiologists. Missiologists, someone who studies culture, understands culture for the sake of getting the mission of God accomplished in that particular culture. That's kind of a shoot from the hip definition. That's a basic idea. First Corinthians 9, Paul writes, Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I've become like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. 
To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak I become the weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may be by every possible means save some. And I do all of this because of the gospel, so I may share in the blessings. I'm not going to unpack this passage. We did that a few years ago when we walked through 1 Corinthians. But the gist is Paul was willing to not sacrifice who he was in Christ, of course, his true identity. But he was willing to cross barriers and connect and relate to all kinds of people as a missionary for the sake of the gospel. What can I do to build bridges and not barriers to get the gospel to as many people as possible? So by God's means, some will be saved. God planted the crossing in the city of Monroe, Monroe, West Monroe, Twin Cities, Washtenaw Parish in Louisiana and the southern part of the United States. Now imagine you just showed up to be part of planting a church, sharing the gospel, make disciples, and you knew nothing about our region, but you're here and your first job is to simply learn the culture, observe and learn. There's lots of ways you can do that. Walk around, talk to people, share meals with people, interview people. You can also consume local media, watch local news, read local newspapers. Anyone know our local newspapers? Anybody read the newspaper anymore? <laughs> Anyone know our local newspapers? So you have the News Star. That's the big one. That's the one owned by a huge multi-state media conglomerate. So, you know, a third of it maybe. It used to be better. A third of it is like local Monroe stuff. Much of it isn't. It's just nationwide news, etc. Sometimes there'll be an article on the front page like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's not even our city. That's some other city. Any, anything else? Any other newspapers? Okay, that's one I don't know. Washtenaw Citizen? Yep. Anybody else? There's another one that I know of. And, and then this one. I think there's two I don't know of. So you have, you have uh, the Washtenaw Citizen. That's one subscription. And you have to actually get the paper. I don't think you can do it online. And then you have the Monroe Free Press. That's another newspaper. If you read these two newspapers from the same city, from local reporters who live here in our Twin City area, it will seem like they're writing to two different populations of people. The stories aren't all the same. It's the same area. It's the same population. There's only 150,000 people that live in our parish. It's not that many. But it seems as though these are catering to two distinct groups of people and so if you didn't, so we live here, we think we know the answer to all this, but just assume you don't. If you're a missiologist, a missionary, you're just l coming here to learn, you're like, well, that's interesting. I wonder why that's the case. Hmm. You start digging in, asking questions. Why is that? Do these two groups of people know each other? Do they interact? Do they live around each other, work around each other, eat meals around each other? How did it get to be like that? Why is it like that? And it's not unique to Monroe. It's like this in every city in our nation. But, but why is it the way that it is in Monroe? And you'd, you'd be curious. You want to dig into all these things. What group of people am I trying to reach? Why are they so different that the news reported them is so different? Why does each population have those particular concerns or papers trying to address? Who should I get to know? Do these groups of people know each other and, and interact with each other? If we have these very different groups of people, how did this happen? What are the roots? Where did it come from? And if you really didn't know the history of our nation, then you'd have to dig through, uh, dig and wade through the slavery system and Jim Crow era and civil rights and how things have progressed and not progressed since then. 
We want to know our culture and the people who make up our region so we can know how to contextualize the gospel to meet them right where they are so we can apply the gospel and biblical truth to actual life situations. So an actual conversation recently, I won't reveal who wasn't in the crossing, it was outside. Someone in conversation was uh, uncomfortable with their, their child attending one particular, they were comfortable with their child attending one particular high school, not comfortable with their child attending another particular high school because the mascot of that school pays homage to the Confederate South, West Bruno Rebels. It's no mystery which school I'm talking about. I'm an alumni of West Bruno. Why does Lee Junior High change to Neville Junior High? Lee Junior High named after Robert E. Lee. But West Bruno doesn't make that change. That's just part of the conversation. And if my response to this person was, I can only talk about the gospel. Sorry. I don't have much to say about this. Would I have ever had an opportunity to actually share the gospel with this person? There's a lot of listening and seeking to understand why this is hurtful for this person. Knowing that it's not hurtful for every person in our area. It's so complicated. But I'm in a relationship with this person. I'm wanting them to know and love and follow Jesus along with their family. Racial issues come up a lot in our culture. If we care about the people of our culture, we're going to be prepared to speak gospel truth into these issues, to love people struggling with them, to listen to them, to, to empathize with them. So we will keep using this Sunday and other Sundays and other conversations to keep pressing deeper and deeper into these issues of racial harmony and racial reconciliation. Because we want to more and more understand our context and why things are the way they are. We want to give you on Sundays when we're gathered as one body gospel explanations so that as we go out and live as missionaries the rest of the week, we have tools in our toolbox to help us share gospel truth in all the instances and all the circumstances that we could encounter. That's part of what we do on Sundays, this equipping. What does sin and brokenness and idolatry look like in our area? How has that looked historically? How can the gospel bring transformation to people in our area? And what does that transformation look like in tangible ways? And because we are the crossing, we are an Acts 29 Soma Church, every member who ever speaks on these issues or posts about these issues will get it 100% right, 100% of the time, with perfect nuance and clarity to speak truth and offend zero people. Right? We are a finished product. We have arrived. We've gotten this all figured out. We're the gurus. <laughs> right. God help us. Richard Land, who for 25 years led the Ethics Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, it's like the public policy arm of the largest Protestant denomination in the U.S. Basically, he, he was in charge for a long time of, of saying, here's what we believe is Baptist about these cultural issues. He no longer does that, but he said in response to verdicts about some police officers shooting unarmed black men, he said this, the different way that blacks and whites tend to view these incidents reveals we still have a serious rift in the nation's social fabric. Lance said Christians should lead the effort to exercise the ghosts of the past about America's shoddy treatment of non-whites. There are always the ghosts of the racist past among us, he said, coloring how we perceive the present. Our present is always informed and tinted by our past experiences. Consequently, while most white Americans were dismissive of theories that the police framed O.J. Simpson, many African Americans, based on their past experiences, found such accusations far too believable. While he, Land, who is white, never had a negative experience with a police officer of any race, Land says he knows far 
fewer African-Americans who have not. Lance says the only way to heal the racial rift is for Christians to come forward and take the lead in immediate formation of ethnically diverse coalitions where people can tell each other their stories and begin to exercise the ghosts of the past together. Ultimately, we must seek to get out of our comfort zones and strive with intentionality to form truly multi-ethnic, multi-class churches where people of differing ethnicities and socioeconomic backgrounds worship together and minister to one another as equal members of the local body of Christ. Lance says, then we, will hear, then we will hear and know each other's stories. Then we will put faces we know on racial and economic injustice. Such churches, he says, will truly transform our culture. Now, what's interesting about that is Lance said that in 2014, which feels like a lifetime ago. And when he said it then, of course, awesome. Who wouldn't want to do that? But if that dropped today, What's changed? What's changed? And, and Land, if you know his story, I won't get into that, but he had to, he was forced into retirement because he, he always had a passion for racial reconciliation, but he made some really bad remarks after the Trayvon Martin shooting about race and Barack Obama. And so he, had, he was forced into retirement because he didn't do a great job of practicing what he preaches. Today, those same comments would... Many in the white evangelical world would accuse him of advocating for things like we talked about earlier. You must want white people to just feel bad about being white. These are ridiculous assertions. No one is saying that. No one's advocating for that. But let's also be honest about our past and how that past still shapes our culture today. That there are lingering consequences and influences that cannot be ignored and must be addressed as part of our culture in America it's part of our culture in the South. It's part of our culture in Monroe. We love the people of our culture. We want to understand our culture so we can reach our culture with the gospel. To preach a non-contextualized gospel is unloving. Can you imagine a missionary showing up in another country that speaks a different language and insisting that he, stand, he or she stand on the street corner and proclaim the gospel in English? He never took time to learn their language. He never took time to learn their stories. Just preach, I'm preaching to you how I preach to the Americans. I'm going to do it in English can't understand it too bad you would say what is wrong with that person how unloving can you be you have the most important message in the universe and you don't love those people enough to figure out how to best get it to them and how it meets their deepest hurt their deepest longing be very unloving it'd be very a very apathetic evil self-righteous thing to do we want to be good missiologists. We want to understand where God has put us as a church to know how to get the gospel to all people in Washtenaw Parish and beyond. Lastly, quickly, God's people are defined by unity and diversity and will one day live in racial harmony. So this is why we keep talking about this because God's people are defined by unity and diversity and we will one day live in perfect racial harmony. It was God's idea to create with such diversity, diversity in all of creation, so many varieties and sung so much of creation that we can love and value and, and the same among people. At one time, humanity came together with a common cause. Genesis 11, we're going to build a tower to the heavens to show off how amazing we are. And, and we read that God came down, he wasn't very impressed, and he divided them in, by giving them various languages, and they scattered uh, as God originally commanded them to, to go be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, so they scattered among the nations and then the next chapter God chose a people from among all of those people who would be his people Abraham 
And he tells Abraham in Genesis 12, eventually all nations on earth will be blessed through you. My God never intended for these blessings of shalom and salvation to only remain with the Jews. And even throughout the Old Testament, God's wanting and desiring all nations to eventually be blessed through this special relationship with his people. Now we know, of course, this ultimately was fulfilled in Jesus, who came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, but brought salvation and life to them all. Eventually, Jesus dies and rises from the dead, meets with his followers for 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom and the promises that the Holy Spirit was about to come, who would fill them and then send them out to do even greater works than he could do. And in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes, his followers go, and they see the curse of the Tower of Babel reversed. Instead of scattering humanity using a variety of languages, now God is at work to bring a diverse humanity into one body, his people, the church. Jew and Gentile. And the book of Acts is this progression of the gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that is what we've seen. Acts 29, this network we're part of, are churches that have a passion to see the story of Acts finished, to get the gospel to everyone. And that's what we are part of today. The gospel going forth is Jesus is building his church among all peoples so that one day, Revelation 7, the throne of Jesus will be surrounded by people from Every language, nation, tribe, and tongue, all one fully and forever in Jesus. Now, that's where we're headed, and the more we see that happen here, it means it's the more of the kingdom of heaven showing up here and now. The kingdom of heaven is not a place that we fly off to when we die. The new heavens and the new earth, John writes, are coming down, and this is all being recreated. Our job isn't to just get through life, die, and leave this place, but to see the kingdom of heaven show up here and now more and more. So we long for racial unity and harmony now because it is a picture of God's future kingdom. As we shared on Workplace uh, last week, Jennifer and I have been at some Acts 29 and SOMA events the last couple of weeks, so much incredible encouragement uh, that we receive and we hope to bring back and spread around so that others can be encouraged. It's encouraging to hear an Acts 29 leader say something like, the typical Acts 29 church right now, compared to 2022 versus pre-COVID, they're at 100% giving, 50% attendance, 20% volunteerism. So basically, for whatever reason, giving is the same or higher in churches that have gone through COVID. About half the people are showing back up and about 20% of the volunteers are still volunteering or jump back in. So it's like, I'm so encouraged that we're not the only ones. <laughs> we're not the only ones struggling. We're all trying to figure this out, the entire groups of churches. And by God's grace, we will. But the most encouraging thing I heard, well, it's hard to say most. One of the really encouraging things I heard was from Jeff Vanderstelt this past week at the Soma retreat. And how Jesus wants us to live our lives in such a way that our lives demand a gospel explanation. Live our lives in such a way that our lives demand a gospel explanation. 1 Peter 3.15, that's the idea. Be always ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. People sit up and say, why do you do that? And the only answer isn't, I'm amazing, it's Jesus is amazing. I'm actually pretty not amazing. He's amazing. And he's doing this in me. Because I fail every day. He keeps picking me back up and shoving me back out there. Here we go. So what would it look, look like for a church in a predominantly African-American city in an area filled with racial tensions from our past and even today 
What would it look like for us to live in such a way that it demands a gospel explanation for how we engage issues of racial unity, racial reconciliation, racial harmony? I don't have all the answers. I don't know. But I know my ultimate hope for ultimate change is secure because it's rooted in Jesus. I do know that. It's going to happen. We're headed to that. We know it's going to happen. And by God's grace, maybe we'll see some gospel fruit in our lifetime. And so we'll keep letting the Spirit lead us and do our part while we still have breath. One very easy, small thing we can do that's not even very risky is just to learn together. One of my favorite new resources is a book called Talking About Race, Gospel Hope for Hard Conversations by Isaac Adams. In his explanation for why he wrote this book as a black pastor helping lead a multi-ethnic church in Washington, D.C., he gives several reasons. And in reason number four, he says, Moreover, the polarization of the day is so bad that while many of us may have already talked about talking, in other words, we're kind of tired about talking about talking. It's been done so much. He says, Fresh attention to the dysfunctional communication across ethnic lines is more than warranted. He goes on, my friend said this about America after the 2020 presidential election between Trump and Biden. We are living in two different countries, each falling further into our echo chambers, believing we are the only ones with access to the true, the good, and the beautiful. Each believing we are in the vast majority. Well, neither of us are. If we want to heal, we need to understand those we hate. And it starts with asking two questions. First, what are the things I could be wrong about? And second, what motivate, motivates others to believe differently than I do? May God give us grace to listen to the answers. Jesus, thank you so much for the truth of your gospel. It's what changes us. It's what gives us hope when we face the most daunting issues of our day. Apart from you, Jesus, the brokenness, the sin, the hurt, the pain, the discord, the disunity that we deal with in our nation would be overwhelming because it seems impossible that it's ever going to get better. But because of you, Jesus, we know it will. We know that one day because of you, Jesus, it will be fully and forever solved. And so I pray that as we face the, the, the overwhelming um, obstacles to seeing growth and fruit in this area in our city, I pray that the hope and reality of Jesus would settle deeply in every heart in this room. And that, that hope wouldn't make us apathetic, but Jesus, allow that hope to send us out, to spur us on, to drive us, to motivate us, to keep working, to keep praying, to keep learning, to keep listening, to keep growing, to keep being courageous when we need to be courageous, to know when to be quiet, to know when to love, to know when to have hard conversations. And I pray for anyone in this room who doesn't have this hope of Jesus, of what he's done for us. If that's not who they are, if that's not filling their heart, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation as they see their brokenness and their sin and they see that Jesus alone has done everything necessary to solve their greatest problem and to bring them back into reconciliation with their creator so that their creator can then send them out to be an agent and a minister of reconciliation to others. Let that happen today in the hearts of those who need Jesus. Grow our affections for you, Jesus. And when 
You grow our affections for you. You grow our affections for others. All people, because that's who you are. That's who you love. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.